Hello, Frank. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? <clears throat> good. Good. Sweet. This is exciting. Are we live? Are we doing it? Are we going? Yeah, we're going. We're just going to okay. jump in and do it. Tell me real fast, how do you pronounce your last name? It's pronounced as if you're, um, you're looking at two guys, one named Mac and one named Ernie. And you say their names really fast, Mac and Ernie. Mac and Ernie. Ah, yeah. okay. Mac and Ernie. Yeah, this. Uh, I'm glad weird. to know that. I've never actually. I don't think I've ever actually heard your last name uh, correctly pronounced before. No, it's Mac rare. It's rare for people to uh, pronounce it right. Even people who have known me for a long time. What do you normally get? Uh, McInerney. McInerney. Oh, uh, okay. Because yeah, that's probably what I would have gone for. So yeah. I'm glad to have asked in the first place. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't look like Mac. And then the two explanations that you already had ready to go without any prompting is is indicative of the fact that you've been asked that question a bazillion times. Exactly, and 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 even when I I just jump right into that because if I just say it McInerney, some like people will uh-huh. not even be able to repeat it back to me. Yeah. So I just go straight with I the, the I... two guys, McInerney. That's great. That's yeah. great, man. I re- I was really hoping I. I well, so what I, do you want to talk about, Joe? Um, anything, Alyssa, I just really, uh, I love, um, listening to the podcast with you and Joey. Uh, yeah, I think you always have really interesting things to say. And so selfishly, I just wanted, like I kept, I was listening to them and I would constantly want to jump in uh-huh. and talk to you. So this yeah, is- that's, I gotta tell you, I've, <laughs> I've listened to a number of, I haven't listened to all of the podcasts, but I've listened to quite a few of them. And, um, man, it, it, I, I definitely sympathize with that because when I listen, there's so many things that I want to say. And I've been tempted even to, to offer to do a podcast and just give like a giant long list of, of things that I would have said if, if, boy, if I could have been there, I would have said this. <laughs> Eventually, we'll, like we'll have to – there should be some sort of like recorded comments feature. So like right now that you can comment on stuff, but it would be great if people could chime in at certain parts. And if it oh was, yeah, like if, a, if it was advanced enough that like, like you could the, see at which point in the podcast, like while you were listening, there there could be like a little graphic. Yeah, like, yeah. This person has some input on this, you know. Yeah, like those old pop up videos on VH1. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be totally awesome. Something like that would be. Surely awesome. that technology is only like twenty more minutes away. Yeah. I'm sure someone's working on it right now. So yeah, this is just uh, this is yeah. just me selfishly wanting to have a conversation with you. Just about okay, whatever. Well, um Cheers, man. That's flattering. Yeah. Let's I, talk about something. I find it really interesting that uh that you're very, you're you're a, a professor of rhetoric, right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. So you obviously are very interested in rhetoric. How, yeah. How, how did you come about to be, or why are you so interested in, in that field? I'm interested in rhetoric because, um, let's see, there's a lot of reasons. I wasn't expecting that question. Um, I'm interested in it because it is, um, it's a very versatile discipline. Um <clears throat> 
what what it's really getting at is is the nature of of um, of people's belief in things or their beliefs in things, um, and why else? Um, because hmm, that <laughs> I'm to- I'm totally I'm totally like blown back. I wasn't I wasn't expecting to ask that. <laughs> um, yeah, so what you what it really is dealing with is is people's beliefs and we we look at beliefs in rhetoric by looking at how people become persuaded of things. Right. And it's it's something that I've always just been curious about like why do I believe why do I believe that this is true and how did it get to be that way in my head? Um right. and then when you look at when you look at pretty much anything it has um a, a built-in system of rhetoric, a system of reifying what is true. Uh, for a given population of people. So, you know, we look at what counts as evidence uh, relative to a population of people. So we understand scientists, for instance, largely as being a community of people who are uh, using using um, methods and things that are methods and, and um, uh, experiments and other kinds of uh, other kinds of uh, sort of modes of investigation that count as proof for their group. Uh, now, if you look at um, a church, for instance, a church has a very different means of, of uh, sort of reifying um, and, and, or, and literally deifying what, what it counts as proof. Um, and so what, what, why rhetoric is a, is, is a good thing to look at um, is because everything, everything has it. It's, like, it's kind yeah. of like history. Everything, no matter what it is, no matter how how old it is, has some kind of history, uh, and just about everything that has to do with people has has a rhetoric also. So nice. it's it's a it's a discipline that looks at um, what counts as evidence for a group of people, um, and and so the the reach of that is is tremendous. And so I find it to be the kind of thing that gives you one mechanism to look at all different kinds of things, including rollerblading. Totally, so, totally. Um, it's 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 right up my street. It's right up my alley. So at, at a super ba- basic level, rhetoric is it's the study of of language, correct? I'm sure that like what? Wait, you broke up a little bit. Can you say that again? Okay, I, I'm just confirming my understanding of what rhetoric is. It's it's language, right? Like it's the study of how languages are developed, discourse. Well, no, I mean, no. It's it, 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 traditionally it was. Um, traditionally, it was designed to to be a midpoint between politics and ethics, uh, and it had to do with how how do we persuade people of civic things where there's no absolute uh, way of knowing what's right and wrong. Um, hmm. So, if you look at measuring time, well, now that's a bad example. I tend to think that almost everything is rhetorical. Um, it's not merely language because there's a lot of things that persuade you that are non-linguistic. Like if you right. see a commercial uh, of, a, of a skater or you see a, a, an ad for a pair of skates and it's got a skater in it and you think, wow, that, I bet those skates work really well. It was, the, it was the photograph that persuaded you. Right. So it's really about persuasion. It's not necessarily about language. So it's, Language is just the primary means of persuasion. Right. That's one part of it. Is it it's, would it be more correct to say it's a study of like communication and how ideas are communicated? Um, 
It, it, it often is. I mean, it, 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 in a single sentence, I would say it's, 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 the, it's the art or the study of, of persuasion. That's, that's okay. a pretty standard definition. Okay. So it's, it's communicating ideas with the intent of persuading someone of something. Yes. So like yes. advertising Absolutely. would be a form of, of rhetoric, like trying to convey an image to a, to a demographic that they should buy this product or that their life will be better with this product. Yeah, like, advertising. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, okay. One of the things that's happened though in the academy is that um, since about the 19th century, uh, rhetoric has really fallen out of favor, and it's and it's the reason that that's happened is because most of the disciplines that it used to cover have all been kind of split off into their own disciplines, and so there used to be this one single masthead called rhetoric uh, that that covered all of these all these giant topics. Yeah. Um, but now <clears throat> it's been divided up into a lot of things like right. uh, speech and communication, philosophy. I mean, philosophy, there's issues that go to philosophy and some that don't. Um, uh, let's see, language, grammar, um, writing, handwriting even. Uh, even back yeah. in the day, they used to spend a lot of time thinking that if you had bad handwriting, it would be hard to persuade someone in a letter uh, because they would have trouble, you know, understanding what you had written. And so handwriting yeah. actually played a role a long, long time ago in, in rhetoric. Um, oh, yeah. but there's a lot of issues in psychology that have been kind of peeled out of, of, uh, of rhetoric and, and, uh, there's just a whole lot of stuff that, that used to be within our domain and has now been kind of siloed off into other, other disciplines. Totally. It's such a huge part of what's going on right now. And it's like, there's got to be so many different disciplines within rhetoric that have like it's yeah it's, a, it's our so, whole thing we're obsessed with information and and there's so many jobs yeah, and I professions mean, that absolutely. evolve around communicating we we absolutely are I, I i like to make the connection with history because um i i think that it's it's a good connection there because uh you know everything has history uh, there are there are historians of science. There are historians of philosophy. There are historians of medicine uh, and dozens of other things. And so it's not that history has some special privilege. It's just a way of looking at things uh, that really kind of helps you organize what it is that you're looking at and how you're gonna and what you're gonna do with it. Yeah. Um, and so rhetoric, I think, is similar because um, it, uh, it, it everything has it. Everything that's 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 a human affair. Uh, has rhetoric in it, um, yeah. and so it's 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 really just giving us a a way to look at uh, at things in a certain from a certain point of view. Right. But it's it's always there. It's yeah. it's it's there in every every kind of human endeavor. For sure, and well, something that's always really uh, something I've found fascinating is thinking about how 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 we came to to have a language like i'm like we started communicating i'm sure before language and with body language or grunts or i don't know showing things but to make the jump from that to using sounds to communicate ideas and and uh -huh. and for that for that to for a language for instance like the english language for it to become like 
agreed upon in the whole people in the whole land to use those sets of words to communicate a tree or a or dirt or a cow or for that to spread and to become so normal and so like for the first person who who started using no, these noises like i'm just i'm just yeah. so intrigued at how, like how how did that start like how you know how did a few people start making these noises and then it spread and then eventually you you get to a point where you have a full language that people who live miles away from each other they come to agree upon like and you can communicate with those people and you can use the same words that they use and right right well there's a couple there's 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 that's a humongous question and there's a bunch of different things involved uh let me try to answer it as best and quickly as i can and also try to include rollerblading as best as i can how about that that sounds great okay okay cool um so the thing that's the most important thing to, to, to think about when you're thinking about language is that everything that happens in it has also ha- happened in, in a microcosm in rollerblading. So if you think about rollerblading language as a separate language, right. I would be more inclined to call it a discourse. In, yes. this, in this case, let's just consider it a language. Um, okay, perfect. The, the, mechanisms, the mechanisms that make things be called things the way they are uh, happen for a lot of reasons. It has to do with power. It has to do with influence. It has to do with um, what's called linguistic motivation, which is whether something intuitively makes sense to people. Um, and and what's 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 maybe more important to answering your question is that um, there's always something that comes before, right? So before English, there was before you know before. American English or, or modern American English, there was um, British English. And before that, there was um, Middle High English and Middle English and Old English. And then before that, English was German. Um, and before German, there were a couple of other things. And so there's a very long lineage of, of languages uh, that go back very far uh, in, in time. Um, right. And and so just about anything that you would point to, there's almost always something that came before it. And then once you get back far, far, far enough, maybe eighty, maybe as far as eighty thousand years ago or so, uh, where we wouldn't really necessarily recognize anything as language, there were still processes happening in the brain that were setting up our abilities that we would later take advantage of. And I want to make a really quick point about that. Yeah. Uh, the the area of linguistics that I study, which is my other field of expertise, uh, is called cognitive linguistics. And what we look at is the way that uh, our bodies make certain guarantees about the kinds of language we can use. Um, and and it's not necessarily our bodies in terms of you know male and female, like one has boobs and one doesn't. Uh, it's more like the fact that we have a front and a back is going to suggest certain things. The fact that we have a left and a right is going to, is going to, you know, have certain implications. Um, and, and we can track some of those things in, 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 uh, well, through different kinds of, of analyses. Um, but one thing that I will add to just real quick is that in, in my, in my area, we think that 
this is a very important distinction that's a bit of a, a schism in linguistics. Um, we we don't believe that there is such thing such a thing as a language uh, organ, as uh, Noam Chomsky called it, and we don't think that there's a specific area of the brain that that evolved somehow specifically to do language. What we believe in in my, my field um, is that um, language is the use of our brains making use of hardware, if you will, that already existed before this. And we think that the specific hardware that we're taking advantage of to do language is our hardware for what's called spatial cognition. So our ability to see and understand things in space, in three-dimensional space, like how far away is a tree, how far away is a lion running towards you, um, you know, where are objects in relation to other objects, how, how close are my people, how far away are my people, all these kinds of things. And we think that there's very good reason to believe that that same mental hardware is what is being used to do language. It's what we call an exaptation. Um, just to clear that up really fast, an adaptation is where you make a new thing to do something with. Um, and an exaptation is where you repurpose something that you already have uh, for, a, for, a new per for, for a new enterprise. And so it's not that human beings spontaneously evolved in a very short period of time uh, uh, an organ or a part of the brain that could do something as extravagant as language. It's that we already had this massive global brain hardware to do spatial cognition, and right. we're just borrowing that ability and making it do language. So right. it, it's, not, it's not that it like, started one day like one one guy, you know, was sitting there and just, you know, invented the first word. Uh, it would have, it would have happened very, very slowly, um, and it was probably happening before the brain hardware was was um, adjusting to it. And then you, you, you at some point are going to have an explosion in 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 language where it, it starts to have something more like a grammar. But a number of people that I've that I've researched. Uh, um, seem to think that it could have happened fairly quickly once a couple of things happened. But I don't necessarily want to dwell on that. I feel like we should be talking about rollerblading. Let me just go back and end that whole diatribe by saying, uh, anytime you think about language in general, you should think about rollerblading language. Because almost anything that you can say about one, you can say about the other. So that'll be my, that'll be my, my, my sort of object lesson in, in language and rollerblading. If it's true about the way that we talk, it's true about other languages, almost certainly. Yeah. Well, a couple things. You definitely don't need to feel like uh, guilty for not talking about rollerblading, because it's we are rollerbladers and it's a rollerblading audience, and 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 there's so much applicable to rollerblading in, in in what you're talking about. Essentially, like essentially, rollerblading is a, a form of of rhetoric. We are communicating something with movements and 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 with skates on. Um, and also, yeah, there's a, there's this entire discourse that's been created in rollerblading, which is, yeah, which is really fascinating. I, I, I think, um, well, and more, more importantly than that, even I would suggest that one of the things that makes you a rollerblader is knowing the discourse. That's how we yeah. separate 
the initiated from the uninitiated. If you had somebody who could just put on a pair of skates, say, and jump on a soul grind and soul grind down a rail, um, that's cool, but they're not a rollerblader until they know it's a soul grind at the same time. Right. So it's one of those things that in my mind is, is kind of co-constitutive where um, being able to do the maneuvers is, is part of what, it, what, what, what is required to, for, for admission, if you like. Um, but knowing the language is the other part. Right. If you don't know the language, you're not really a rollerblader. If you know the language and you can't rollerblade, you're, I don't know. I don't know if you're a rollerblader then or not. That that quickly sends you into a question of what is a rollerblader, and that's that's a very fraught conversation to have. Yeah. Well, it is, yeah. Um, so in, so can you shed on some light on how, like, very at a very basic level, like that a royale came to be called a royale and, and a fish brain came to be called a fish brain. Um, yeah. Well, the, the fish things... brain, the fish brain one is, is, is actually very easy to answer. Um, and a lot of the tricks are, have, have, have names identical to that. So we'll start there. Um, Tom Fry from Australia way back in the day, uh, was the first person doing the trick. And so, um, that trick basically got named after him because his nickname was Fishbrain. So, uh, you know, if 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 there was some if there was some singular thing that you Todd were known for doing on rollerblades, and someone said uh, to someone else, "Hey, hey, do a Todd. See if you can do a Todd down that rail." Um, that's that's really almost exactly what happened with the Fishbrain. Right. Uh, same thing with Machio, um, and and there's like oh man, off the top of my head, I'd have to, it, maybe I could maybe I could cough up some more after I have a second to clear my head and think about it. Um, but that's that's one of the main ways that tricks get named is by literally naming it after someone. Um, in the same way where you know if you had a reputation for. Uh, uh, taking Celtic frames and talking to old grannies, then, then if, if I said to my friend, hey, do a Todd, uh, he would look around and see, oh, I'm holding a pair of Celtic frames and there's a granny right there. So what I should do is I should go talk to the granny about the, about the Celtic frames. And <laughs> right. he would be doing a Todd, right, <laughs> if, that's, if that's what you're known for. Yeah. Uh, the alternative is... Um, is is that some tricks have what we call a, a linguistic motivation, and what that means is that it resembles something that came prior, right? So all almost all of the grabs uh, have a motivation in that they existed in skateboarding um, before they existed in rollerblading, and because they resembled those things that came prior, um, the the it, it intuitively makes sense to people who are aware of the two. The two things, right? Like a Japan or um, a mute or a method or any of those other kinds of errors, um, a stale grab, all that stuff already existed in skateboarding language before. Yeah. Uh, so that's one kind of motivation. Another kind is like the unity, where 
the unity is meant to kind of look like the lotus position where you sit Indian style with your legs crossed in, in uh, Buddhist, uh, the Buddhist tradition. Right. And so it's, it's, that position is meant to cause unity. And so it makes, it, it has a linguistic motivation in the sense that, uh, if you knew that that's where it came from, it would make a great deal of sense to you. You're crossing your legs and way back in the day, we used to sit down a whole lot lower than we do now. Yeah. Um, maybe even like boot, boot only, like boot and no frame. Yeah. Uh, particularly like Champion Baumstindler doing a lot of unities back in the day. Yeah. So, so that would be another kind of motivation. Um, and then if there were a third kind, I would say that, um, that it probably has to do with the demographic that we are and that we're bound to produce uh, certain kinds of things relative to uh, the things that we care about outside of rollerblading. So that would predict things like the porn star. Like, oh, guys, wouldn't it be funny if we called a trick a porn star? Um, Phil Riley named that. Uh, and the Royale, you know, the Royale happened, I'm pretty sure the same year that, um, uh, Pulp Fiction came out and everybody was just going around doing that, pantomiming that, that, that sequence with John Travolta talking about being in Amsterdam and getting the Royale with G's. The Royale with G's. And so people would say that, uh, to mean something that was good, but a little bit better, like a little bit, like sort of extra cool kind of thing. Yeah. And so, so that's three kinds of motivations, and, and I think that most of what we've got can be fit into one of those categories. There's probably some that don't fit quite as easily into that, um, but that's 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 a basic version if, that, if that's what you asked for. Yeah. Do you think the do you think our uh, language will expand a lot over the next say ten twenty years, or do you think? What do you think of that? Well, what do you mean by expand? Like, do you think that new, new, like a lot of new terms will be coined and, and rollerbladers in a decade or, or more will use a lot of language that we wouldn't be able to understand? Like, do you think a lot of new terms will be invented? I'm going to doubt it. Um, I'm going to doubt that it's going to get more rich that way uh the trend already is 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 towards getting smaller and smaller where there's more there's more kind of um sociological bias towards already being an inside member and i think that we are that we've gotten that way um because we're we're very inward looking and we're such a, a small community where um you can really get in touch that you know you always hear about the six degrees of kevin bacon or whatever um, I think that in rollerblading, we're, we're a much smaller group than that. And I think, I think if you know the right people, you only have to know two or three people before you have some connection to just about everybody in the world. I think that we're that small. Honestly, I think that there are about a million aggressive rollerbladers worldwide. Um, but I'm, I'm, it's a long-term project that I'm working on trying to figure out how many of us there are. Do you think there are a million? I think so. Yeah, I do. Wow. I think that there are a million. Um, it, 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 it really, really quickly gets into problems of defining what still counts as a rollerblader. Right. Do you have to have gone to the skate park this year? Do you have to have gone to the skate park within five years? Do you have to self-identify as a rollerblader? 
do you have to be able to soul grind, or can you not be able to soul grind and still call be counted as a rollerblader? <laughs> do you have to have bought skates this year? You know, do you have right. to what? Do you have to know the language? In my opinion, if you if you can do it, and you if you can do some kind of a trick, right? I don't care what kind of a trick, from stair ride to a fakie 360 to a wall ride to a front side, uh, and you know the names for those things, then those are my two of my main criteria for being a rollerblader. Um, but as far as as far as time is concerned, you really want to isolate people who would self-identify as a rollerblader right now, because right. Um, in the past we had way way more participants than that. So you wouldn't include someone who who would def- define themselves as, I used to be a rollerblader. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if, if they used to be a rollerblader and they're not involved in any way, then uh, my bias is to count them towards no. What I mean, about, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It that's, gets tricky. It does get tricky because, yeah, if, but if someone, if someone used to rollerblade, they, they don't really skate anymore, but they still, like, are interested in it and still talk about it and still watch media... Yeah. Then I then yeah I would say yeah you're a rollerblader. Right, and so the 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 thing is though it's 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 a question of it's a question of getting an accurate head count. It's not I'm not by by yeah, yeah. creating standards like that. Not trying to exclude anyone, <laughs> but um, you know if I think if you're still engaged in any way in the culture, then then you don't necessarily have to say used to be a rollerblader. Yeah. I mean there I've been on hiatus from rollerblading for. More than a year at a time. Yeah. Um, and I didn't ever really stop counting myself that way. Yeah. I just hadn't done it. It's just like it wasn't in the cards right then. Either I was in school or I was abroad or I was doing something else, you know. Um, so you think do you, So you think there's a million people that can do a trick and can – that can identify the trick? Way more, way more than that. Um, really? Way more than a million who could... I mean, there are people who no longer self-identify as a rollerblader uh, who, if you gave them a pair of K2s like they used to have and asked them to do a soul grind or to do a unity, I guarantee you that there's way more than a million wow. uh, out there. Way yeah. more than that. Way more than that. I mean, some of these, some of these individual skate companies have sold more, more than a million units. Wow. Yeah, I'm not really uh, aware of any like s- numbers in sales. In Europe, uh, Kato, um, not Kato, sorry, uh, Toto. You know Toto Gali? Yep. He owned out from yep. way back in the day, and yep. they made a shitload of those things. Really? I mean, there was there was there was like tens and tens of thousands of those things made. Really? I think he made like a million dollars the first year. What? Of making those, and that was nineteen ninety. That was nineteen ninety seven, maybe. Holy and there was shit. a shitload of participants. I mean, I think. I mean, if you, I'd have to actually go back because um, Justin did really good work on on um, on Barely Dead, and he had good figures. And I'd be interested actually to talk to him and see where he got his figures because um, he he thinks that in, as far as total rollerblading, uh, and 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 I don't want to misquote this here, but I. I I feel like he said, or someone said in that video, 
that there were about 30 million participants worldwide in rollerblading total wow. in about 1995. I think I might have just repeated myself. Okay. Um, so just total people with rollerblades. And if you took even, you know, 20% of that were into aggressive skating in some form or fashion, who could do a soul grind and name a soul grind, you would have, what, what's 20% of 30 million? Like 6 million? 6 million, yeah. So we could have had as many as 6 million people in the heyday. Whew. That's out, out, That's crazy. Do you... Th- um, I, I used to... Well, there was a long time where I felt that rollerblading would never get to that level of popularity again. But recently, I've kind of switched and I kind of feel like it will eventually be a really popular activity and could very easily have that number of participants. It could. I think that it could. Uh, but if, I mean, I don't have a good sense right now of whether there are, um, wh- whether we're still kind of declining or whether we've kind of hit rock bottom and now we're kind of creeping back up again. But as far as the linguistics is concerned, to answer that s- cycle from a second ago, um, if if we continue to either if we continue to get smaller or if we stay the same size, which I think we might actually have plateaued for a little while, and then people are just going to kind of, you know, there there will be either either stay the same or have marginal growth, you know. But as far as as far as the language changing dramatically, yeah. um, unfortunately, I think that we're stuck with a lot of the things that have already become entrenched. Uh, not all of which, you know, in my mind, make a, a great deal of sense. Uh, but uh, as as a rule, languages tend to lose precision over time, and and all all words uh, fall into two fates. One fate is that they just fall out of use, just because they become irrelevant. Um, and the other is that they are very slowly engaged in a process where they're turning into um, pieces of grammar. Pieces of grammar. Yeah. Um, so here's a, here's a quick story. Uh, the word keep, K-E-E-P, yeah. right? The original usage of that word is, is, uh, is a noun, and, it's, and it means the center of a castle. It means the safest, central, most place in a castle. Right. So, so the first version of it that we know of was the noun form, and that's what it meant. Now, uh, about, about 50 or 100 years after that, we start seeing this usage of the word keep as a verb. Um, and just like I was saying before, you know, hey, go do a Todd or go Todd that old lady when I was talking about, you know, showing a pair of Celtic frames to the granny. Um, when, when you make a word into a verb, uh, what you're doing is, is you're... you're Name, I mean, you know, I mean, you're, you're naming, you're naming it as an action. So saying, you know, fi- go fish brain that rail is, is not different than saying go Tom Fry that rail. Um, and so when, when you have a word like keep, which is a noun, which is referring to a place of safety, um, when you put that into a verb form, what you get is, is that same kind of process where you're asking someone to, um, you know, nounify or, or do the noun version of that action. Right. So we say, keep this, 
keep this safe, it means hold on to it securely. If I said, now here, uh, keep, keep my baby while I go in and, and talk to the person in the bank, you know, the, the keep is meant to mean <laughs> do it keeps. like you would do it if you were putting it in the center of a castle. Make yeah. sure it's the safest thing that you've got. Make sure that you don't drop it on the ground and all those things that you can infer by that. So then several hundred years later, uh, we get a, a use of keep that refers to what's called um, aspect in, in grammar, where I would say um, Frank keeps on talking. And so keeps is referring to what's called aspect, like I was saying. And that, and that means that, that it's, it's, it's aspect is telling you whether something happens uh, um, you know, one time or whether it's done or whether it's ongoing. So if I said Todd keeps jumping, uh, we know that you're jumping more than one more than one time, and that you're going to continue doing it. And we don't know for how long you're going to you're going to continue jumping. <laughs> so, uh, but if I said if I said um, um, you know Todd jumped, the the aspect there is what's called completative, which means that it, it happened once and it's over, and we can be sure of that. Uh, so, what you what you get is a word like keep goes from being a noun to a verb through several other parts. Uh, that I skipped towards ultimately landing at a at a signal for aspect, which means that you're using it to say whether it's going to continue happening or whether it's done. So um, I was at the DMV and this man kept he keeps talking. You know, uh, you know, keep there doesn't have rich lexical meaning like a castle keep, where you could draw a picture of it. Like a chair still has lexical meaning. If I say chair. You can imagine one in your head, uh, but if I say, "What is the what is the picture you get in your head for keeps?" When I say Todd keeps jumping or Todd keeps skating, there's nothing lexical that you can think of. There's right. no image you can get in your head. So the 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 idea there simply is that um, all language is slowly degrading and and losing the richness that it has when it's an open class word, and as it slowly degrades towards being a closed class term. Um, it's, 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 it's sort of just shredding, shedding the layers of its, of its, of its meaning. Uh, and a perfect example of that would be, um, well, not quite perfect, but I would just point you and point, uh, our, our audience to, um, the trend that we've seen in shortening words like skate names, where we had true spin topside acid becomes true top acid becomes TTA. Yeah. And unless you know that TTA stands ultimately for true spin topside acid, there's no way you're going to get that out of TTA if you don't already know that. So yeah. in a way, it's making it harder for, 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 in, for outsiders to kind of make their way in and find out um, what the hell some of these words mean because – you would have a really hard time getting true spin topside acid out of TTA if you didn't already know what it meant. Right. So to answer your original question, I would just say that I think that we will not – I would predict that we're not going to see more rich language coming in. Right. Um, what we're going to see is a slow, a slow um, loss of meaning from a lot of our terms. However, the one thing that I will say is that open class words, word, uh, things like nouns and verbs – are very easy to come by. So new trick names are very, very easy to come by. 
but a lot of the structural things that we already have in place in our language are basically entrenched and they will never change. For instance, when we name a trick, we name the entire sequence from forward or backwards approach to the mounting onto whatever, uh, to the um, narrative order of, of tr you know, tricks or switch-ups that you did, and then we name the dismount. So we say, fakey 270 Royale 540 app or something like that. And that's a structural component that we're probably never going to lose, that we're going to name it always in sequence because it makes sense to us. Yeah. That's, we would encounter it if, you, if you're trying to get someone to understand. You're, you're literally trying to walk them through the narrative of you doing that trick as if they were doing that trick. Right. And so it, that's it's probably something that we're totally stuck with. Yeah, it's, and it's effective the way it is. I, I, that's, I definitely yeah, that's, don't that's, think it needs to change. That's um, another great reason. If it's working well, then we're likely to continue using it. If it yeah. sucks and we don't like it, or lots of us don't like it, it's likely going to change. Yeah. Um, I guess what I should have asked was, do you think there'll be a lot of new ideas that we'll need to develop a language for? Or do you think that the, 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 the majority of the ideas that we are destined to come up with have been come up with? Well, you are a very interesting person to ask that question because um, I think that a lot of the stuff that y'all do um, is either unnameable or would require a name so specific that it's not readily exportable to other situations. You know, like, if you're, if you're, like... You mean, like, it's too guys, unique. Have you seen guys do kind of like a Machio stall on the top of a pipe, like a vertical pipe? It's, it's not in the Royale groove, but it's really on the sole, but you're standing on a vertical pipe, and you could kind of angle over like you're doing a Royale, and you could spin on that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep, like a, like a cork spin? Yeah, sort of. Um... Like how people spin on fire hydrants or... Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's not really a backslide and it's not really a macchio because your soul isn't really touching it. It's really only touching in one spot. Yeah. And you can only do that on certain kinds of things. And it's non-standard. Um, and the fact that it doesn't already have a name leads me to believe that it's probably not ever going to have a name. Well, I believe it's, it's known as a cork spin, but... Is that right? Yeah, that's that's what I've heard it defined as, okay. and that's what I call it. Is a, okay, cor okay. a cork spin. Well, that's totally news to me, and I'm 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 I'm, I'm actually pleased to know that that has a name, cork yeah. spin. But I I, I do under, I I see where you're going. It's like there has to be a certain amount of people that can do it for for it to be necessary to have a like a label. Or for yeah. for a label to come about, like if only one person in the world can do something, like chances are it will never have a a name, right? Because people will just say, "Oh, that weird thing that that guy does." Yeah. But as soon as like people, as soon as more people start doing it, then it requires a, a label. Well, that's interesting that you say that though, because. That one weird thing that that one guy does is exactly where a lot of those things came from. 
The idea of doing a topside macchio when Tom Fry was doing those things in 1995 was like suicidal because nobody wore shin guards and nobody had done topsides on that kind of level. And he was doing it around bull corners in Majestic 12s. And people were like, well, fuck, I don't want to do that. That's a Tom Fry thing. Yeah. And so at the time, he was the only person or one of the only people in the world doing it. Yeah. Um, Cause it just seemed so unnatural to. It, yeah, it seemed really like far out just of the foreground. On the one foot, it's like that. Well, yeah. I mean, to me, when I first saw it, he was he, there was a photo of him in something, maybe even a Woodward catalog. I don't know what something way way old though, um, and he was doing it through a bull corner, and he was clearly like hauling ass through the bull corner, and he was like nearly horizontal, and the idea of like, imagine yourself like doing a horizontal fish brain down a kink rail is impossible. Like, you're just not going to do it. Yeah. You don't have the kind of forces, you know, in, happening to you that you do going around the bull corner. You can do yeah. a fish brain around the bull corner if you're hauling ass, and you could be nearly or even all the way horizontal if you do it right. Yeah. But when you see it, you don't think about it that way. You just think to yourself about doing it on a ledge. Like, well, I'm just going to land on my side. That's all that's going to happen. Yeah. I lock on or not, I'm going to hit my arm on the ground, my shoulder on the ground. Um, but we do see, though, that a number of tricks that, that seem that way, including negatives, um, and what's the, what's the, um, there's a kind of an acid sole where you wrap your acid foot round the other way, around the leg. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't even know. I, I think it might be called, called a citric acid. Is it a, yeah, I think you're right. I think some people call it may have other names in other in other uh, locales, but I think I've heard it called a citric acid, and that's the kind of thing that's really just not available to most of us. There's no yeah. way that my legs would do that. There's just not. Right. Who who does those citric acids? Um, I've seen Micah Yeager do it. Yeah, yeah. Long before that, I saw. Um, oh God. Oh shit! What's his name? He's from he's from Baltimore. Um, oh my god! I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I gotta look it up. This is gonna kill me. Like it's offensive. He'd be he'd be mad at me if I couldn't. <laughs> oh, this is shameful. Um, oh, ah, embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. Be like, you should you should edit in like the Jeopardy thing. <laughs> Clark Kirkman. Clark Kirkman. Clark Kirkman. I didn't even look it up. I thought of it before I actually clicked on his Facebook page. I just thought of that. Clark Kirkman. Yeah, his name's Clark Kirkman. He was a Woodward guy from way back in the day. Uh, he's friends with Casey Norris and Mike Falcone. Uh, a lot of guys like that. Okay. I don't know if you know any of them or not. Mm, no. Okay, well, fair enough. Anyway, Clark Kirkman used to do them. And I don't know if he named it Citric Acid or if it came from elsewhere. Um, but... That's a uh, pretty obscure... This, this is a question that I actually want to put to you. Sure. My question to you is this. Um, there are certain tricks, right? If we If we think about... 
You know what? You know what? Absolute zero is or not? Sorry, not absolute zero. Um, um, um. Oh God. Zero. Spent. Oh, it just went blank. This is killing me. <laughs> I'm screwing this all up. Uh, absolute value. Do you know what absolute value means in math? Yeah, it's always positive. Yeah, and it's the distance from zero, right? So yeah. seven and negative seven both have an absolute value of seven. Right. So it's just how many steps away from zero would you have to go to get to that number? Right. Okay. So if you imagine tricks in skating as being uh, central, right, like around the zero point, tricks like Soul Grind and Mizu and uh, Royale and, and others like that are going to be really, really close to the center. Do you, do you, can, can you see what I mean? Um, if you can imagine certain tricks as being more central, you're going to get very basic kinds of tricks like front sides and soul grinds. Right. Okay. And then very far afield are going to be um, the kinds of tricks like, uh, like a Rockio or um, negative, like negative wraparound acid, citric acid, like we were just saying. Yeah. You know? That those aren't the kinds of things that are available that that anyone can do that that a a, a a reasonable a reasonably talented person could be able to execute that maneuver. Uh, I think I'm a pretty talented person, and my legs just won't do it. Just right. won't. So it's almost like the amount of movement that it takes to get into a certain position that you're that you're getting on. So like a Royale, obviously, is a really low one because you just jump and put your feet on and yeah like a, a like a like a savannah would require much more movement of your body so it's like a higher degree of energy getting into the position or a higher degree of movement. yeah I, I i get what you're saying i think that it would be you need a better way to explain it though because you know Something like a 540 frontside is got a lot more moving parts, but it's still just a frontside. Right. And I, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it, it takes a lot of energy to do a 540 frontside, say. Yeah. Or a 540 backside. Um, but, but it's like, it's I, almost like the I, contortion it, level. Like it's more complicated or, or it has more twisting of the joints or something like that. Yeah, like contortion. Yeah, contortion might be decent. High level of contortion. Yeah, because a frontside is is pretty much non-contorted, whereas a Unity or a Porn Star or a Citric Acid are starting to get pretty contorted. Yeah, like a Citric Acid is extremely contorted. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Um, okay, I just want to make sure that I'm thinking of a Citric Acid like like the same way you are, or how it actually is. Yeah, is okay. So there's a citric negative acid, right? That you can do, like your your, say my my right leg. I understand. Yeah, my um, right leg is okay. Just a normal citric acid. My right leg is sole, and then my left leg is behind it, in front of it, doing an acid. Is that right? That's what a citric acid is. Well, see. <laughs> I, I I don't know. You've got the you've got the legs wrapped up appropriately. It's not clear to me whether citric acid already implies negative or not. Yeah, because I'm not sure either. It, 
it, it's, it seems to me, for the people who I've seen do it, it seems somehow like the negative version of it is somehow easier than the non-negative version of it. Yeah. And that's crazy already because doing it negative just, I mean, I don't know. That's already ham to me. But as far as, I, the answer to your question is I don't know whether it already implies negative or not. But you definitely have the legs wrapped up the right way based on how I heard that. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. I've never done it. No, me either. I was never, I was never like a contortionist grinder. I was well, very well, basic. <laughs> one, one thing, though, that I would add is that it's not really contorted, but only certain people can do it, is what, what some people call the mirror sole, where you're pigeon-toeing, where you're doing a, basically a macchio and an alley macchio at the same time. That is, but that is really contorted, I would, I would say. But it's not twisted up, I guess, is the difference. Yeah, I guess it's, it's not twisted up. Like your legs don't cross. And similarly, yeah. side surf used to be a thing. And I've actually seen people, I think it's called an open book, where you do uh, like a, you, you're doing a, mis- like a macchio in the front and an alley macchio in the back. You know, so you're, it's like riding side surf, only you're right. grinding that way. Okay. So you guys call that side surf, like a crab, crab walk. We call it... Like, yeah, when you're rolling and doing that. Yeah. Yeah, side surf. Okay. Yeah, I've never... I don't think I've ever heard side surf. What do you call it? We call it crab walk. Oh, crab walk. Interesting. Yeah. It's we, interesting that in both cases, y'all aren't walking and we aren't surfing. <laughs> surfing does make more sense. Well, I well, mean, it, it, it's in the eye of the beholder, if you ask yeah, me. Exactly. But I guess the, the shape of the legs or the shape of the boots look like a surfboard, almost. I mean, you also tend to put out both arms like you're delivering two pizzas. <laughs> hey, not if, not if you're good at it. Maybe not. I mean, I could probably tuck in, tuck in my chicken wings if I were trying to do that on purpose and yeah. still side surf. Although I don't quite do it as well, and so I kind of go in a big, a big, big giant circle that you can't quite see how big it is. Yeah. But I'm always going in a little because I can't quite, I can't quite go all the way out. Yeah. Like I couldn't go through cones that way. Yeah. It's an interesting. But okay. Style. So so my my question is if you can if you can get your idea around if you can get your head around the idea that. That some tricks are more central and some tricks are less central. Yeah. So that things like the open book and the mirror soul grind and um, the citric acid are are less central. Yeah. You know, I don't I I've often I've oftentimes called them the difference between canonical tricks and circus tricks. But I think it would if we were gonna use that term it would be more appropriate to say canonical versus non canonical tricks. And my question to you would be, what kind of standard would you want to distinguish between the canonical or the central tricks from the non-canonical or the non-central tricks? What kind of standard, as, as one of the god springs of, of mushroom blading, what kind of standard would you want? What kind of criteria would you want for something to count as central versus the kind of criteria you would want for something to count as um, non-central does that question make sense yeah and that's tough because i think each 
person would find different things to be more central or not so central. Like certain people's body tend to naturally be able to move into, say, a unity position or or even a citric acid or like it's hard to it's hard to have like a universal standard because well that's the thing there there will never be a universal standard so what we're looking yeah. for again this is where rhetoric fits in because there can be no absolute universal standard so what we need is the what's the best we can do to come up with one hmm and and what would be persuasive if we were going to put it in those terms what would count as evidence in my view if most people, if, if, if a majority of us can get our feet to do a soul grind, then that's probably going to count towards the central ones. Right. Most of us can do a Mizu, that's probably going to count towards the central ones. Yeah. You're never going to get the same numbers for citric acid that you're going to get for soul grind. You're just yeah. not. Yeah. That leads me to believe that soul grind is a central or canonical trick and citric acid is more fringe even though for some people, some person out there, he or she may have a much easier time doing a citric acid than doing a soul grind. Yep. But that one person shouldn't you know, upset the whole balance of the whole of rollerblading and change the canon. Right. Yeah, I think the perfect canonical trick for rollerblading is the, the soul grind. I think so too. It's also the first one that we can do that you can't do on a skateboard. Yeah. It's a very unique body position, unique yeah. to rollerblading. Yeah, and you can't do it on skis. No, you can't. You couldn't even do it really on ski boards. I mean, it just—it wasn't like you could do it, but it wasn't the same trick. It was different. Yeah. You know? Um. Well, yeah, your ski would get in in your way. Even if you were doing a macchio and you reached out that tip way out to the front, it would it would. Oh, I'm going to say this on the internet out loud. It would just be, it would be just the tip out there. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like that's totally different. That would almost be like doing a soul grind where you're doing ma Machio on the back foot and channel one on the front foot. Like that would, that seems like a different maneuver to me. Right. Which is, which is something that people have brought up for years about whether, uh, you know, skating is ever going to head in the direction of, Channel 1 grinds and Channel 3 grinds. Um, and it hasn't happened in 20 years, and I doubt, that, I doubt that it will. But maybe we'll get so bored that we'll go there. Who knows? So is that kind of what you're, you're getting at, is, is thinking about formulating like a, like almost like a chart, like, a, like the A difficulty grinds, the B difficulty grinds, the C and the D? Um... Well, I, I'll, I'll admit to this openly. The number of people who know me already know I did this. I did this already about 13 or 14 years ago at Woodward. Um, and I, I, what I had in mind is um, figuring that there were eight... Uh, people have told me to write this, and I probably should get somebody who's like a really good graphic designer to help me make an infographic for it so it's not just a boring chart. But the idea is that you, for, for, for what I'll call a canonical stance, right, there are eight iterations for that stance that can happen. And it, so you have to not think about the jump on necessarily, but imagine you're skating a ledge 
right? There's eight ways to do any single canonical stance. Yeah. So if you do, for instance, a soul grind, right? Like imagine you just step up onto a ledge. You could do a soul grind forward or you could do a soul grind backwards. That's two. Yeah. And then you could do a topside soul forward or a topside soul backwards. And all four of those can be done switch stance. Right. So that, that there's eight iterations or eight versions for each canonical stance. Right. I counted 80, I, what, what did I count? I counted, um, I counted 11, 11 stances, which gives me a total of 88, and then I also counted frontside, uh, but frontside only has four, because the frontside is more or less symmetrical. So a switch, uh, a switch alley-oop, a switch alley front side and a front side are the same thing, I think. I haven't actually had this conversation in a very long time when I used to have this down pat, but let's see. It's interesting. A, There's a switch a... front side and an alley front side should be the same thing. That's, how, that's a good way to put it. Right. So since they're not, you only get four out of that one, and so you only add those four onto, uh, onto, the, uh, onto the 88 that we've already got. So that gives you 92 canonical stances total. One thing, though, is that that does not include negative. Because this was 1999 or so, yeah. and nothing really serious in negative was taking place. Fast slide isn't on there. Um, one of the standards for it was, can you do the trick all eight ways? And a lot of these tricks could be eliminated from my list because um, you couldn't do them all eight ways. For instance, a fast slide didn't make the list because a pug slide hadn't been done seriously down anything. Right. My personal standard was always a kink rail. If it could be done down a kink rail, then it counts. And there were very uh -huh. few things that you could say alley-oop, topside, negative acid, down a square kink rail is going to happen. Yeah. I just didn't buy it. So, you know, negative, lots and lots of negative stuff was just out because the idea of negative fish brain down a ledge or a kinked ledge or a kinked rail, you know, lots of these things have happened and I'd have to, I'd have to, you know, eat my words. Um, but pud slide and fast slide are one of the first ones that come to mind that weren't on the list. Um, negatives weren't on the list, handful of others. Um, so if you included negatives and some other stuff, um, you know, you could get into, I would say there's probably between two and 300 different grinds. Wow. Total, which I think that Joey and I might have talked about in terms of uh, um, cognitive load. Yeah, we, we definitely like that's a lot of shit to ask somebody to remember. Like, hey, welcome to rollerblading, man. Like, it's yeah. good to see you. We're love. We, 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 you know, we can't wait to hang out with you. Let's get some beer. Let's teach you how to skate. And by <laughs> the way, here's 300 tricks you need to have learned by the end of the night. Yeah, that's a lot to ask of somebody. So. Another use and that for... doesn't even get you the word for fakie. Learning all three hundred of those tricks doesn't even get you fakie. Yeah. There's literally tens of thousands of things that every one of us knows about rollerblading language. We just don't think about it because it's 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 already kind of built into us because we're fully in initiated, fully integrated. You know the way that. People don't know grammar, but they can tell you what sounds right and what doesn't sound right. 
we have what's called native speaker intuition for rollerblading, which is one of the reasons why I would suggest that it's uh, a dialect uh, or, or, even, or even almost approaching – it's somewhere in between a dialect and a language. Yeah. And that's awesome. People should be proud of themselves. They learned a, a whole new dialect and didn't even know it. Yeah, it is awesome. And it, uh, it shows how complex it is. I mean it's a very complex – activity with a lot of different options. I actually had an idea for a, for an app that would be like a trick idea generator. I so feel like I've seen this before. Maybe it would basically have like it would it would have different levels and you could even add on different components so you would end up with like a a string of yeah, you, yeah, you would yeah. Have like somebody a, a made fakey, dice. A fakey Some, come up. I don't know when. Somebody made dice, and you roll the two right. dice, and it'll say, you know, one one says the approach, and one says, uh, you know, you'd have to get each dice for as many things as you wanted to concatenate together. Right. So you want half cab, switch, soul, 540 out. So you would have one dice that was come up, one dice that was grind and then one dice that was come out or something and you'd roll all yeah, three and maybe a separate dice for natural or switch right that's a great idea and then you'd have to determine where does that go because you know switch half cab soul and half cab switch soul don't mean the same thing for a lot of people yeah it would work it would work much better as an app if you could have a randomizer because then you could have a lot more options than than the six yeah, sure. Well, I guess you can get those crazy dice with a whole bunch of. Oh, like a twelve-sided die. Yeah. Like a like a Dungeons Dragons shit. Yeah. That's but that's awesome. that's really interesting, just in like showing or reminding yourself, like, because it's it, it's easy when you go out skating to kind of go brain dead and be like, oh, like kind of always do the same tricks. But even with a very basic grinding resume. There's so many different options that you could do. Like even yeah. if you have a few grinds, there's so much that you can do with those few grinds. Yeah. Like come up to it fakie, come up to it looking fakie over the opposite shoulder or from one foot and then come out. Like it's it's pretty endless of what you can do. Um, do you think it's necessary for us to have like a – a criteria to earn like the way that in, um, in different martial arts, they have like a green belt and a black belt. Oh, huh. Do you think it's necessary for rollerblading to have like a criteria for obtaining your, your black belt in rollerblading? Like, That's interesting because I think that, I think that, um, you know, ASA back in the day, ASA pro, was was a lot like that. I have never thought about that before, like a black belt. That's a really interesting observation. And um, then what would the criteria look like for that? You know, it's an interesting thing to, like, what types of tricks would a black belt have to perform? Yeah, yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have that kind well, of thing in gymnastics. It, yeah, I mean, I mean, the first thought that I had on that was that ASA Pro used to be that. It used to say, what is black belt or pro class? You know, right. but you had a lot of people who were ASA pro who weren't sponsored, who didn't know anybody, who weren't really part of any scene. They just kind of 
made it happen. And I think that you have the same kind of thing still happening with WRS, where I think that WRS has a pro class. But with those things, there it's like um, it's almost like you can achieve a black belt. Yeah. And but without any kind of set requirements, trick wise, it's like you can if you develop like a unique skill set, you don't no. have to be able to fish brain. You don't have to be able to. 720 you don't have to there isn't like certain tricks it's almost just like if you can use your own skill set in a badass enough way that it stands out and it's impressive then boom you got a black belt right um but what if it was like there were requirements like like figure skating see that's the difference between rollerblading and figure skating we we don't have to do a set routine where we have to do a triple lutz and we have to do these certain um elements of the performance we can just like we can go in our own direction and ignore hundreds of tricks and still be considered a black belt or like a top skater yeah well i mean the the obvious i mean this is this is where where rhetoric is, is is helpful because you know my first question is going to be um why why would that be necessary and one of the first questions you're gonna. You're one of the first answers you're gonna get is so we know who's good and who's not, and that serves no purpose other than to keep people separated, right? Right, or so that you get the street cred automatically. You know that that when you go into a conversation, you know you need to know that when you start talking, motherfuckers better be listening. Yeah, you know because I'm because I'm a black belt because I can I can you know soul grind a ledge. You know, or or I can I can misty flip. And the thing is, what's cool, as you guys, as you know so well, what's cool changes so often that, you know, number one, it would be really hard to ever pin down what is a what is a threshold trick like that. And number two, I think that the culture at large would largely um, rebel against that kind of thing because we don't want that kind of order imposed on us. Yeah. And I think that the reason a lot of us rollerbladed and picked rollerblading when we were younger, um, we picked it because it didn't have that. Right. And the stuff that already did have that was less interesting because, you know, maybe some of us did karate and decided, eh, those guys are just too full of shit, you know? I don't want to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to be able to have control of your body and stuff, but I could dive through a tire as a result of knowing how to rollerblade and not having taken karate class. Yeah say that i really want to dive through a tire but i bet i could for for a lot of people or for and a lot of sports are structured this way there's like a there's a clear path of of or steps like you learn this Uh then you graduate to this and then once you learn this then you're ready for for the next thing Yep. Um, and that gives people like a, a structure of learning or like a like an easy – rollbedding is interesting in that we kind of create our own curriculums. Yes, absolutely. And we, we chart those things out for ourselves, which, uh-huh. a, a, which is a part of being a rollblader is deciding for yourself what you want to learn. What do you yeah. think looks cool or what what feels good to you? Yeah. And you do it, and it's, um, it breeds a certain personality that's not looking for 
the standard to be told to them, they're more likely to just do something and just like, oh, I don't, I didn't read the the manual. I just started doing it. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I would say, and, and this is, this is, that's, that's a really good observation. And, and there's two things that come to mind. The first is that, um, is that the, those of us who are a lot older were limited by what was out or what we had invented on our own. Like when I first started skating, um, I hadn't seen anyone do what we would now call a binsole, but I was able to do a binsole right. uh, or binsole, I guess some people say. I don't know which it is. I would say binsole, but yeah, I don't I'd know. Yeah, I'd say binsole. Okay. Um, I was doing that, and and I didn't. I either didn't have a name for it or I'd forgotten or something. Um, and I was doing that around the time that I could sole and royale and that kind of thing. Um, but that was easier than doing a royale. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I was limited because I had already been doing soul grinds for a long time before Royale even happened. And so a lot of the, a lot of the people from my generation will be able to identify the tricks that they learned in the order that they did more or less because those were the order that the tricks came out. Right. You know, soul happened before, uh, X grind, uh, uh X grind happened before acid soul. All those things happen before topside anything. I see what you you're know? saying. Like when we, it's the same with me. Like I've I've been skating for like 20 years, and when I first yeah. started, there was only a couple of options of what yeah. you would learn. Yeah, you could pick from Soul or Mizu or Frontside, and yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, yeah, that's it. But so so kids, you know, the, the younger people starting now. I don't necessarily want to call them kids because they're not all kids, but. Um, you know, if, if if everything already exists and you can go on to the internet and find out, you know, through some of these uh, message boards or whatever, there's some really old Angel Fire websites still up that I think that Cody might have talked about in his podcast with uh, with Joey. Um, there's still a couple of these like old school 1995 Angel Fire websites that are still up, hosted who knows where. That have these like elaborate descriptions of what is a soul grind, what is an acid soul grind, and and what's a mizu and what's a makio, and and you can get these strange little like um, um, like time capsules, you know, where there there might have been a different name for something. Like you'll see one about sunny day, and you'll think, God, I haven't thought about a topside porn star being called a sunny day in fifteen years. Yeah, and there it is, preserved like in in amber. Wow, that's interesting. But yeah. so there's there's more flexibility for younger people or people starting closer to now than when you and I started uh, to be able to pick and choose what they want to do based on what they already have seen, what they think looks cool, what's easier for them to learn, and those kinds of things. So true. Uh, but in the, in the I will prime. say, as far as ability, as far as ability is concerned, there's a couple of tricks that I would describe as gateway tricks that you really need in order as a foundational concept in order to be able to do other stuff. For instance, I think that learning how to Royale is probably going to come before backslide for most people. Right. And Royale is the kind of main gateway trick that in rollerblading, you get that kind of Permian explosion of tricks created into the fossil record where as soon as Royale happened, backslide happened, unity happened. 
topside acid happened. Um, a whole bunch of stuff all came at once because yeah. we, we got the we go, we developed the, the 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 ability to do the royale, and that's one of those ones that you get all this extra stuff for free. Totally. And there probably wasn't another big boom like that until the the Nugan the, or the the Farfanugan, which people now have have have, have started calling it a Farv. Yeah. And in Austin, we shortened it by calling it a Nugan. Interesting. And, um, it's just one of those kind of regional, cultural, sub, sub, subcultural differences in rollerblading. Yeah. Where other people call it a Farv, and we call it a Nugan. But <laughs> only the older guys in Texas call it a Nugan. The younger guys call it Farvs. So the the trend probably worldwide is to call it a Farv, but. Also, it's a terrible word for for people to to be able to say and spell. But the point the point simply is that while I agree with you that there are there are a lot of things that that the younger people or people starting later have more ability to pick what they like what what feels more comfortable to them. It does still seem to me like there's a a kind of an absolute threshold for learning certain more basic tricks earlier. Yeah. How like I've I've seen crazy exceptions to that rule though. Like uh Surely, surely so, yes. Like Dustin Werbeski. Yeah. He, I kinda watched him not from like the very beginning, but I watched him develop from a, a young role player and that that kid had the strangest trick vocabulary. Like he would you would never see him do like basic uh-huh. grinds it was just like he would just go straight into doing like torques and like yeah unity tricks and there are weird cases like that where guys it just seems like they just jump into very odd things and they don't it's it's like a the old the old schoolers are very um I guess because there was only a, f- a few different grinds to choose from, it was very like linear. It was like mm-hmm. you learn this and then you learn this because yeah. that was like how things were created. It was like right. a couple years into skating, it was like, whoa, Unity, what the hell is that? Okay, let's right. let's learn that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and and there was there was there was freak things early on. Um. Like people doing pud slides way, way back. Uh, people doing fast slides way, way back. Yeah. Um, and in fact, um, if you had, I, I actually used to be be able to do fast slides uh, when I got tarmax because it had the flat carriage uh, undercarriage grind plate. Yeah, the bridge I could grind. Do plate. really good. Yeah, bridge grind plates. I could do really good fast slides because you could almost like it. It gave the impression of locking on. If you set that thing flat, yeah. you have a pretty decent platform to stand on. Oh, yeah. Not yeah, nearly they, as stable as a Machio, but still really pretty stable. That was Yeah, the bridge ground plate was actually really good for fast slides. Not that I could do them, but just thinking about it theoretically. Yeah, I mean, but so, I mean, there was probably a lot of people like me who could do it really, really well on their P-rail in their driveway. Um but then the trick kind of left because it wasn't the kind of thing that everybody could do. But wasn't it like fast slides 
were actually pretty popular back in the day on like shorter rails. For sure, for sure. Yeah. But no one, no one, but not was like balancing like it. Handicap rails or kink rails, you no. know? Hell no. And now a lot of that stuff has been done. Yeah. And that just points to sure there are these people like uh, like like Dustin who uh, who are going to do some far out weird stuff um, because it's easier for them or for it's e- or because it's easy or because they want to um, and and there's definitely a lot of choice but I worry as as new people get interested or or if new people get interested if they're going to find it totally overwhelming to look at yeah there's thousands maybe tens of thousands of combinations of things that you can do if you start adding up natural and switch for these two or three hundred different versions of grinding with every version of half cab and switch half cab and illusion and everything else that can be done i mean i think that i think that we're talking without getting crazy or counting switch ups you could get into 10,000 oh, really yeah. really easy easy yeah I think, but I think, I don't think people would get overwhelmed by that. I think people who, who are interested in it would only find that more appealing and and it would draw them in. It's like a, it's like a, a mystical kind of thing where it's like, how do they do all those things? Like it, it creates this like, like an, like a action book hero, like Superman that can do like all these crazy grinds and it's it's very inhuman and i think of, like someone who is interested in that would only be like whoa like there's so f- so much room for me to take this yeah um i couldn't see someone being like oh i'll never learn all that so i won't i won't even well start. it seems to me that a lot of people a lot of people who who that that that, that might be the kind of thing that would that would separate really thick really quickly the the thickness of the herds you know those of you who see that kind of opportunity and think wow that's almost inexhaustible i want to go for that one versus right. the kind of people who say oh i don't know that sounds really complicated man like i don't want to do that yeah the uh, when when i when i've been abroad and i've experienced a lot of attitudes about american football um one of the things that people always complain about is there's so many fucking rules man uh, <laughs> And I'm like, well, yeah, but they all make sense if you understand the game. Yeah. And then, and then I'm sitting there watching football every weekend with my buddies, and we're thinking, man, you know, if you if you if you were trying to explain the basics, you really couldn't because any game that you were going to watch would rapidly demonstrate 15 of the most obscure things that there are, and and it's like there's there's equality amongst the obscurity, so that some of these things that only happen only seem like they would happen once in a while, happen once a game. Yeah. Always. And, and, and so I think that there's, there's, there's a lot of complexity to things, but yeah. it, it has to do with whether you're kind of presented it at the beginning. And I think that yeah. most of us don't remember encountering American football for the first time. It's sort of, it's like language, it was here before we got here. And we're we're made to abide to it as best we can, uh, and we're sort of subject to using it as best we can. But we didn't create it. We didn't agree to it. It was here before we got here, and we're really kind of stuck with it. Yeah. Um, Just and, like and a lot of 
a lot of activities and sports. Yeah, like I don't remember encountering uh, football for the first time, but I remember seeing rollerblades when they came out. I remember thinking, man, that's cool as shit. That looks yeah. so cool. Yeah. You know? And then when I started seeing people doing tricks, I remember thinking, that is so cool. Yeah. You know? Uh, but I have no such memory for football. I can't tell you no. the first time I saw it or anything. In, 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 in a way, I don't remember the first time I saw skateboarding. But rollerblading stands out because I remember when I first saw it. I remember my first pair of skates. I remember the first people that I skated with, the first tricks that I did, everything. Yeah. I th- that makes me think about the way that I imagine my daughter looking at rollerblading. Uh-huh. And I, cause I think about like, I, I'll watch skate videos and she's crawling around on the floor. She has no idea what's going on. She's only 10 months old, but I think about what her perception of rollerblading will be because like you said, like, and, and for me, the first time I saw people doing tricks and stuff, I was maybe 12 and I was a, I was really into baseball really into uh, like traditional sports. And then when I saw rollerblading, my perception on it was so like, uh, like this is not something that my dad ever did. This is not mm-hmm. something that my parents knew anything about. Like this is like so cool, so new and, and fresh and so, so new that my parents have no idea what this is. So it's interesting yeah. for me to think about her like, Daddy will always be watching these skate videos the way that parents of our generation would have been watching a football game. Or sure, something. yeah. So absolutely. she won't have that same reaction. To her, rollerblading could very well be the exact same thing as football. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to poison the thoughts in your head with this too early because you're <laughs> uh, a, a, a young father and you have a very young daughter. But um, if you think about. She, yes, I think that you're absolutely right. It will always have been kind of in the ether of her existence that there's these people and they do this rollerblading, you know. But your daughter will someday date some boy or girl who who won't have had that experience, whose dad wasn't a rollerblader doing a podcast into the wee hours of the night uh, and playing a role in the community and so on and so forth. And someone that she will date will have never encountered it before, and they will be able to mark a moment when they saw it for the first time, whether they do it or not. There are a yeah, lot of yeah. people in the world who don't even know that it exists. Right. Or never not, not in the capacity never. that it exists. There are a number of people who I work with who don't know that it exists. Yeah. Like some of these old, old professors or librarians or other people, staff, like, their world just hasn't bumped into this portion of my world at all. Yeah. So, so whether, whether, so, so, it's not like the opportunity is lost because rollerblading is still small enough where, um, you, you will probably recognize the first time that you see somebody grind a rail on skates. It's weird enough that you'll remember it, you'll notice yeah. it. Oh, but, yeah. Football is just as as common as as air. Yeah. In a lot of places. Yeah. Uh, like I imagine hockey up there, at least as a stereotype. Oh yeah. Uh, speaking of which, are you in the middle of that polar vortex? Is there? Are you like that that polar vortex thing that's like making it eighty below? Is it like deathly cold outside your house? <laughs> 
it, I'm not in the polar vortex, but I am in like a, I live in a winter wonderland. Like there's okay. like, there's two feet of snow and okay, it's, uh, it's definitely winter. But I think the 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 vortex that you're talking about is more like central Canada, like in Alberta. Yeah, okay. They, the... it, it gets a lot colder um, over there, but. Yeah, I mean, have you seen about this thing? It's like 80 below in some places. 80 below? Yeah. I don't, I don't like really watch thing, the news. This or... thing swooped down from the North Pole, and it's like it's like so cold, it's like purple, like on the weather map. Like Whoa. they've gone through all the shades of blue and white, and then like these light shades of like light purple, and there's places where it's so cold, it's like dark fucking purple. Oh, God. I mean, people are like, they're... It's going to be a catastrophe. Like, everybody's farm animals are going to die. Like, they're having to deal with all this crap. Whoa. I'm glad to know that you're not in the middle of it. If there's anybody out there who is, I, I really... Ugh. My thoughts go out to you because that sounds insane. Yeah, it's... There's nothing like cold. Like, it, it, it's been a particularly cold winter here. Yeah. But nothing, like, newsworthy. But yeah. fucking uncomfortable. You go outside and it's not fun. What's the temperature out there right now, do you think? Um, right now, it's pretty mild. It's maybe like minus 8, minus 10. Uh, Fahrenheit or Celsius? Celsius. Okay, so you're talking about 20 degrees or so, Fahrenheit? Yeah, yeah. which okay. is actually pretty mild. It, it probably got down to like minus 15, minus 16. Okay, okay. And that's uncomfortable. Yeah. For anybody, for anybody listening to the podcast, here's a fun piece of trivia. Uh, minus 44 Fahrenheit and minus 44 Celsius are the same temperature. Yeah. Because, That's yeah, of a degree... Minus where they overlap. So how is it a degree of Fahrenheit is is less than a degree of Celsius? So that's why uh, it meets up? Like, zero Celsius is what Fahrenheit? 32. 32. Okay. And yes. 100 Celsius is 212 Fahrenheit. Right. Yes. I dealt with all this when I was living in Wales, and one of the things, I get it, it's not part of the metric system, and the Americans are fucked up, and this, that, and the other. One thing that I will say, though, in defense of the Fahrenheit system, it is on a very human scale, that from zero to 100 in Fahrenheit is exactly the temperatures uh, below which and above which you can be outside. So relative to a normal human being, zero, uh, zero Fahrenheit is just too fucking cold to go outside. And for any reasonable human being, 100 degrees Fahrenheit is just too fucking hot to go outside. So in my view, as bad of a system as some people think it may be, it's a very human system because the 1 to 100 range perfectly fits what's reasonable to go outside for a human being. That's true. Yeah, so Celsius like, is a little bit confusing that way. When, 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 like, and you just know, if somebody says it's 50, like 50 is perfect, if you ask me. Yeah. 60, 70, yeah, that's, that's great. Those are great temperatures. Uh, you know, 30, that's getting pretty cold. Water freezes. You know, I don't freeze, but water does. Okay, that's not a big deal. I'm not going to freeze. Yeah. Um, but, but when, when I, when I, you know, relative to a human being, Celsius, like, 
Oh, God, it's bloody cold. It's 15 degrees. Like, I don't know how cold that is. Is that hot? Is that cold? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Your scale only goes from zero to, to like, you know, what, 40? Yeah, like 40 is uncomfortably hot. Yeah, 40 is like hotter than a hot tub, right? Like, yeah. what is uh, that, like 105 degrees or something? Yeah, 40 is really fucking hot. Like, too hot to run a bath. is hat. really hot. 30 like, you could run a bath that hot. Yeah. Are you yeah. burning your life open? Fahrenheit does make more sense relative to a human. Yeah. As so, far as doing chemistry, though, humans don't care. But as far as deciding whether I want to go outside, I'll take Fahrenheit all day. But if yeah. I'm going to do chemistry, then sure, Celsius for days. Yeah. Just, I just wanted to have my little, my little rant about that real quick. Thank you oh, for totally. indulging. Well, both of my parents were American, so they went from, for Fahrenheit. They oh. always would tell the temperature by Fahrenheit. I think that is common for people, for Americans to, to go from knowing Fahrenheit to go to Celsius. Like Celsius makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Like it, it's totally in, unintuitive. Unless you're a chemist. Unless you're a chemist. Yeah. And then it's the most brilliant thing ever designed. Then it makes sense. Yeah. Zero, you freeze. Is a hundred the boiling point? Is that hundred Celsius? Or is that... In Celsius, yeah. Water boils at 100 in Celsius. It boils right. at 212 in Fahrenheit. Right. So it boils at 100 and it, it freezes at zero. So that makes a lot of sense. In, yeah, in Celsius. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I wrote down just a few random things. Okay. That I Let's... thought would might provoke some interesting talk. Um, one... Uh, Blade Mag came out with their awards for 2014, huh? and so did we. We came out with our Blade Awards. No, for 2013. 2013. Sorry, yeah. So, what is your what was your take on awards? Do you think having awards is as silly as having a criteria for a black belt, or do you think there is some value in having a, an awards? Well. I think I think there's there's a number of things that are important there, and there's there's a lot a lot to be said um, about about those things. Um, a couple of thoughts that come to mind though are that um, awards are good, even if they're even if they're just sort of uh, gag awards, because we still like recognition. Um, it's it's nice for somebody to 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 notice that you exist or to say. Hey man, I, I I'm aware that you're doing this, whether it's obscene or not. Um, it's attention, and right. and I think that I think that some attention uh, is good. Some of the awards that y'all did, I think, were 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 legit, and some of them were more comical, right? Am I am I not mistaken? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So true. some of them were really funny, as I recall, and some of them were were really pretty 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 level headed. Yeah. Some of them were definitely fair. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I think I think that one thing that's nice about awards is that it's nice to to give recognition to people. Um, one thing, though, that uh, you know, a, a a a bigger, more, you know, a, a a magazine like one has a lot of people who look at it periodically who aren't rollerbladers and and other things. And one of the things that I thought was valuable about doing awards at one magazine was that 
there are a lot of people who are struggling in rollerblading and who have day jobs. People who write, uh, people who uh, edit videos, who take photographs, who are videographers, and getting the award. A uh, perfect example is uh, is is um, um, Brian Kranz got the award for best writer in rollerblading. I don't remember exactly what the award was, but it was something to that effect, blade author or something like that. Yeah. And that to me is something that can actually go on his resume, and that's that's yeah. a way that one magazine can actually support people uh, who are who are in rollerblading and doing good things for the right reasons, um, and and in particular it supports someone who may actually be able to put that on the resume and, and make something lucrative out of it. He may be able to get a better job um, because he's got one more bullet on his resume. doesn't count for a college degree. It's not going to get him a job offer anywhere, but it could be the difference in, an, in a job interview that says, well, what's this one magazine that you write for? Oh, it's about rollerblading. Or, or, or what's this one magazine award that you've got? Well, one magazine is a, is a rollerblading magazine, um, and I write uh, about rollerblading stuff, and, and they might, in a job interview, say, well, what the hell's rollerblading, and tell me about it, and that's, can you do that? Can you grind a half pipe? Can you jump off a thing? And he might be in a position to, to, to make something meaningful out of that. Right. And so I think that um, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a magazine like, like one is, as a, as a pretty big magazine with a lot of readership, uh, I think that we kind of have a responsibility to... Um, to try to to try to give a a, a, a nod of the hat um, to people who, especially people who can make something from it. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I will say though is that as far as the other things are concerned, like skater of the year and that kind of stuff, I mean, it, it's 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 more it's more to um, you know get a conversation started or have something to argue about. You know, because there's there's no absolute criteria, but to me that's that's a main difference. You know, giving giving the award the skater of the year to one person over another has everything to do with who's voting. That's what it matters. That's what causes it. Right. Um, but I even that still, I do think that it's valuable to to have a kind of a popular um, a popular consensus um, on on who who. Um, but one, one thing that I'll say though, is that you get very different results when you have a democratic based, um, awards than you do when you have a, a dictatorial, if you will, awards. Yeah. There's a lot more freedom if you're picking the awards, uh, with who should get what. Um, do you know how, how one picked the awards? Was there any voting or, or was it just decided by the staff? Um, well, do you know? Yeah, they, they, it was my idea. Um, I'm, I'm why it happened. Oh, Um, wow. Okay. Um, I mean, Justin, Justin and I had, had, had had a number of conversations about it and, uh, I had been saying, you know, listen, I think that there's a lot of good reasons why we should do this. I think that it's it's good it's good conversation starter. It's good to recognize people, um, and and I also think about the the people who are like like Lonnie. Do you know Lonnie Gallegos? Yeah. Okay, so I grew up with Lonnie, and Lonnie's been making videos forever. And it's really hard for a dude like Lonnie to do to bring any of his talents back to rollerblading, even though he does it all the time. 
because he's he's paying for that. You know, yeah. like every video that he's made, he's paid for. And there's a lot of people um, who are running things. I mean, it's like mug and everything. All of it exists. Sorry? What was that? You cut off for a second there. Well, you you and, and, and Joey, as far as the world is concerned, are mushroom blading. Yeah. And it seems like it's a thing, and it is a thing, and it exists in the world, and y'all have made it happen by your own uh, volition, with your own money and everything. And um, so, so I just think that it's really valuable to be able to... Uh, to give recognition to people. So, but being, being one magazine, it's not the kind of thing where we could just say, um, I think this guy should get such and such. I think this person should get such and such, you know? So what we did was we, we, we got, we compiled a list of all the contributors. Um, and the contributors got to, um, nominate people. And then after we got all the nominations in, then we compiled a list of the top three nominees for each category, and then sorry, so, sent the list so, so, back out to all the people again. Okay, so sorry. The, again, who are the sorry? Who are the contributors? Or sorry, how did you come up with the contributors? Uh, people who have contributed to one magazine. Okay, okay, those kind of contributors. Yeah. So so. Okay, uh, so they anybody, could nominate. They could make nominations. Anybody who has taken a photograph that's been on the one website or been in the been in the in the magazine or the digital edition, anybody who's written an article, those kinds of contributors, right? Okay. Um, get to nominate people. Yeah. So, um, you know, I write a blog called Second Place for them, for one. And and that earns me, you know, one vote per category and one nominee per category. So everybody else who's made a contribution like that to the to the media of one magazine got a vote. Uh, and so they were totally based on um, wh- what came in as the top three nominees, uh, and then and then the votes went out again, and everybody voted on the top three. And so the results that we got were as a result of a democratic process of one contributors. And, you know, people are going to be unhappy with the results, and that's how it's always going to be. Of course. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's what you get when you have democracy. Now, other people had awards. Uh, y'all did awards. It was kind of like a, a, a year. It was like an award year almost because everybody seemed to have, you know, came upon the idea at the same time or something. And so there were a lot of different awards that came out. Um, a uh, there's there was the Down Awards that that some guys in Texas did, and y'all did awards, and I think that uh, Brian Brian Kranz did an awards. A lot of people did it this year. It's um, a, it's a good way to like sum up kind of the important things that happened. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so too. But um, you know, there's there's lots and lots that can be said about it, but. Um, It's, I'll just, I'll just say that, you know, you're going to get a very different result and, and you're going to please very different people if you have a democratic process or if you don't have a democratic process. Right. So, uh, the way that, the way that, uh, we did it at one, uh, is what we thought was the best way to make it fair across the board. 
Yeah. As fair as we possibly could. Not everybody's going to see it as fair. Not everybody's going to agree with the results, but you know, we, we spent lots and lots of time thinking about it and we did what we thought was, was right. Yeah. It's funny. I'm happy that I asked you that. I, like I have been thinking kind of negatively about the idea of awards uh-huh. and think of just kind of thinking about the, the impact or, or what, what does it say about us as a culture with this mm-hmm. like award ceremony? Um, well, to be fair, it's for bragging rights, right? Like even if, yeah. Even if it, I mean, for the most part, it's for bragging rights, and I think that that's that's something that the, if if somebody's bragging, somebody's going to be upset about it, and all the awards that have to do with skating are going to be that way. Yeah. In my point of view, it's very very important, uh, and it, it to 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 give a nod to people who can actually do something with that award. Where yeah, you know, if Richie Eisler gets an award, well, that's nice for him, but there's very little that's going to come of it. But yeah. like I said before, if Brian Kranz gets Writer of the Year. He can actually put that on his resume and do something with it. And it's also it also gives him very positive reinforcement. Exactly. To keep and like going. you said, like he's he's not he's not getting paid to, to do it. It's something that he does out of out of enjoyment for himself and also f- for the positive reinforcement from the community, and that's a part of it. And it's so important to have people that are passionate about skating not just the activity of doing it, but writing about it, talking That's, about it, creating uh, visuals. Like we need, we don't just need great skaters. We also need content creators and artists um, that enjoy doing it. So yeah, in that sense, it's really important to to give those people a nod and maybe hopefully give them some fuel to keep doing what they're doing. So yeah, I, yeah. I like that a lot. That's, that is very true. So that was that, that was the first thing. What else did you have on your list? Um, these are super half baked. I uh, I've been extraordinarily busy at work, so I was like really busy. But I wrote down the word scootering. Okay. Um, how how do you feel about the sport of scootering? I feel fine about it. I don't do it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anybody who does it. Um, I would wish no ill will on, on the on the participants. Um, there aren't really any people who do it where I skate at the skate parks in Austin um, who aren't children. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I would I wouldn't really spend a lot of time with with a child who rollerbladed if he were that age, you know, I would be happy to help do things like get things set up or, uh, introduce that person and his or her parents to somebody. But like when I was, when I was, when I was about 14 or 15, I met Jan, uh, and Lonnie and Jason, and I'm now friends with one of Jan's friends quite a bit older than me. And Jan's friend thought that it was really bizarre that Jan was his age and was hanging out with guys as young as we were. Um, but, you know, as I've, as I've seen since I've been a lot older now, 
Uh, skating transcends age in a big way. There's no way, you know, 33-year-old, you know, college instructor, college professor that I would hang out with 16-year-olds or 17-year-olds on a regular basis. That's really weird to somebody who doesn't understand skating. Yeah. But as soon as I tell you that the 17-year-old I'm talking about is Andrew Broom, it's going to make sense to most of the people listening to this. Yeah. Like, sure, why wouldn't you hang out with that guy? He's dope. He's a great skater. He sounds like a cool guy. Sure. You know, so there's a certain threshold where it makes sense, and there's a certain threshold where it doesn't make sense. Uh, Kids who are five, six, no, uh, no thank you. I'm sorry. Those are just children. They're not young teenagers or whatever. Um, and there aren't any rollerbladers, as far as I can tell, in town who are five. Uh, so I really don't have to get more specific than that. But right. almost all the kids who I see riding scooters in Austin are between the age of about five and ten, I, I, I think. Okay. So That's it's interesting. Kind of prob- That's- it's kind of a non-problem. It's kind of something that right. I just don't encounter ever. Okay. The- but I don't have any bad opinion about them, you know. Yeah. They they're welcome to do their thing, and that's great. And that's yeah, I I definitely don't have any ill feelings towards scootering, and I think the sport actually has a really bright future. I think uh, it, it, like I'm under the impression that scootering is getting really big. Like scootering is really really popular. If you go to a skate park here, um, you'll see you'll always see t- tons of scooter kids. And they're not just five to ten years old. They're teenagers, and they're like going big, and they're doing like tail whips and backflips, and like they're. I've seen guys. I mean, off. I went skating. I've seen guys who are really good. I've seen it happen in real life. Yeah, but that was years ago, and I haven't seen anybody in Austin. And and if they have a crew, we haven't encountered their crew. Yeah. If if they are, have a big presence here, we have not encountered. Right. Maybe some of the Austin guys can correct me if they hear this podcast because <clears throat> I don't know of any of those kind of dudes. Okay. If it's going on big there, um, I don't know what would cause that. Like a lo- yeah, it seems to be like I would almost say it's the most popular sport for for young teenagers that are choosing like an action sport. Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've actually got a, I've got a couple of these items that I would like to, to just ask if we could just kind of toss them out here real quick. Yeah, sure. Uh, that that last thing about scooters and that we don't have any, as far as I can tell, here in Austin, but you seem to have a, a sizable population, um, reminds me of a question that, that a friend of mine, a guy named Ryan Rasmussen, wanted me to talk about if we had time, which was, what do you think is the relationship between geography and the presence of certain skate brands. He, for instance, has noticed that in Texas and California, you see a lot of rims and razors. But he recently went to do um, some, some school stuff in New York City, and he noticed that a ton of people have, have rollerblade brand skates in mm-hmm. New York. And almost nobody, almost nobody in Texas has rollerblade brand skates. Yeah. So his his question to me and to you, I suppose, or for for our discussion, is why would that be? Right. Um, why would it be that rollerblade is not popular in Texas but is popular in New York City? Well, there's the one obvious and boring answer, which is availability. But uh, there's a 
more interesting response. I think that um, there are, I think there are actually cultures within rollerblading that are subscribed to different brands. For instance, there's like a Volo culture. Uh-huh. There's a USD culture. There's a Razors culture. There's like a certain type of rollerblader that would only skate a Razors or maybe a USD. He wouldn't get a Volo or an SSM. Like there's a very clear SSM culture that okay. they kind of have a certain attitude. They do their tricks a certain way. They dress a certain way. Um, so then geographically, I think um, more people from a certain area would maybe fit into a certain subculture of rollerblading, like a certain, like, um, so he said he went to New York and people, that is interesting that people in New York were skating rollerblades. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not really familiar with the rollerblade subculture. That might just be an availability thing. I'm not sure, but those are the thoughts that come to my head. Yeah. Okay. That, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's, that's a pretty decent answer. And rollerblade itself is kind of peculiar because, it is. Um, I mean, I don't know. Um, I was talking to. I was talking to Jeff Akers uh, a while ago, and he reminded me that there's not a skate shop in Texas anymore that sells razors. And please, please, Jesus, if there's a shop in Texas who somehow gets word of this podcast and I'm wrong, um, I um, a a thousand apologies, but uh, I'm pretty sure that I heard that from, from Jeff who said that there are no longer any shops in Texas who carry razors. Yeah. And that would be kind of strange because there's a lot of people who skate razors. There's a number of people who ride for razors who live here. Oh, crazy. And there are shops in Texas. Well, I think that that's the catch is that there really, I don't think, are shops. There's there's a shop um, in San Angelo that's run by Kevin Little, Um and it's kind of a skateboard rollerblade shop. I don't know if they sell other stuff. Yeah. Um, but I don't really know of any skate shops that are here other than other than than that skate shop. Is that And I don't know how much how much rollerblade stuff they sell. Is that where most people get their skates or like where in tech where do Texas bladers get their skates? Oh, online. I'm sure everybody buys their stuff online. Just like uh aggressive mall and some of the, or things. yeah, we, we, we actually, there's a fair amount of, of, uh, of traffic that goes to, um, uh, SDSF. Okay. Uh, Cause Matt Morrison, who's one of the, one of the heads out there is from Houston. And yeah. so there's some, there's some kind of, there's a lot of old school connections there between Matt and some of the guys here, myself included. Right. Uh, and that's, that's pretty close geographically. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean San Diego. Yeah, I mean it's not coming. It's I mean, it's still pretty far. I mean Texas is nine hundred miles across. Right, it's a big. I mean you're 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 living in British Columbia though, so it's not like you're any stranger to that. No. 
But, you know, as far as U.S. states, Texas is a pretty big U.S. state. Everything's pretty yeah. far away. A lot of people joke here that, you know, the halfway point between here and anywhere is the Texas border. Just because <laughs> it, take, it can take you so long to get out of Texas. If you're on a car trip, just getting out of Texas feels like this huge hurdle you have to get over. Yeah, it's 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 big. But I don't know. In Canada, do you do you take long road trips? Like, would you drive to Toronto? We used to. Really? Okay. And and I have gone. Like I have, we have driven pretty much across Canada, almost across the whole thing, like a couple week type trip. Yeah. But uh, I'm losing my my motivation for it. Yeah. It's just so long. Like even like we used to take regular trips to Calgary, uh, in Alberta and that's, that's an eight hour drive, mm-hmm. which it's not that far, but eh, it's, it's a venture. But yeah, Canada is a huge place. Let me, let me look at a map real quick. I want to see. And there's a huge separation between East and West coast rollerblading. Like it's, yeah. it's completely, it's separate. And that's probably because there's a language barrier, but also cause it's just so fucking far away. Like we're, we're way, we're closer to California than yeah. we are to Eastern Canada. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Completely. You know, what's always confusing to me though, is how big Canada actually is because you get this gnarly distortion on most of these maps you know where where the 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 poles are stretched out. Yeah. You know, like have you ever looked at a a Peter's Gall projection map and compared it to a Mercator projection map? Uh, I don't know what those maps are. Okay. Well, you know, you have to imagine that you you're making a flat map out of a round thing. Right. And depending on how you present the map, you have to sort of distort the map in certain ways. Yeah. And the map that Google uses that I'm looking at now to see how far so you're just on the you're you're on like the eastern edge of Western. No, I'm uh, sorry, of British Columbia. Um it's kinda central BC. Oh, oh it is, I see now. Okay. So the line up there by up way further north. Okay, okay. I didn't realize that British Columbia followed the mountains right there. Yeah. So let's see. So it like, sort of makes like diagonal, uh, a couple hundred miles north of Kamloops, and heads down towards Montana. Right. So I don't. If you're not looking at a map, this is useless. So just, yeah. <laughs> never mind. It just it is okay. So so even though I don't have a good, how far is it from from there to Edmonton? It's about an eight hour eight hour drive. Oh wow. Okay. Which is actually so yeah. Drive to Toronto. You're talking about. Oh man. Like thousands of miles, like two thousand miles. Yeah, it's like From driving North. across the United States, yeah, east coast to west. Like it's about that far. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. I've only I've only I've done it once. That's crazy. That's a gnarly drive. Yeah. Is there nothing out there, like in Saskatchewan? Yeah, yeah. You hit Saskatchewan, and it's just flat roads it's really boring drive like you go out to where richie and dustin live in in regina saskatchewan Uh uh-huh 
we used to go out there for something called Eisler Q. And it was this event where, uh, like, rollerbladers, pretty because that's pretty central. Rollerbladers from from not all across Canada, but like BC, Alberta, Manitoba, maybe even Ontario, Ontario would huh. meet at this central spot at Richie's house. Oh wow! Okay. And so we'd all just skate and party, and it was just a crazy meetup. It was super fun, but that uh, that was like a 16 hour drive to Regina. Wow. Okay. Loops. Five of us in a little car. It wasn't fun, but you hit Saskatchewan. It's so boring. It's, it's just flat. It's just prairies. It's all you see. Yeah. So it's crazy to think that such talented people like Richie and Dustin came out of that place. Like it, it is like, it is a shithole where they live. <laughs> Pardon me if you live in Regina, but it's like, it's just a flat shithole. That's crazy. I but had no idea that's where Regina was. Yeah. Interestingly, though, you hit like Saskatchewan and, and Alberta. It's so flat, but there's really low handrails all over the place. Weird. Like they had Alberta skaters and Saskatchewan skaters were really good at rails because they had all these like freakishly low rails to learn on which was crazy like where where i live it's super hilly i don't know if that even has anything to do with it but like we didn't have practice rails like we didn't have small we had either a ledge or a big scary handrail that was a stunt to just do a royale on yeah yeah so we would go to alberta and saskatchewan and they were like way more advanced at at doing rails than we were. That's crazy. Yeah. But the, it's interesting though, because Regina in a way isn't all that far from like, you know, Omaha and geographically it looks other than the cold. It looks like it's probably fairly similar, at least from looking at the map uh, or the topographic map. And, you know, you had a lot of those same guys like Dave Kolosh who came out of Omaha where there's yeah. nothing out there, yeah, you know, and and in a lot of ways, I think that you can point to some places, even like Texas, where a huge amount of talent has come out of Texas, um, and and maybe even more so than large places that you would expect, yeah. you know, percent wise, more people to have come out of, like for instance, New York City. Uh, Jake Barnes has a lot of theories about that that you might ask him about sometime. Interesting. Uh, and it just has to do with I, I, one. One of the things he said was that uh, um, in New York City, there's lots of other stuff to do. Like yeah. you might go and skate for a while, or skate on your way to a hip hop show, or something like that. Yeah. But like in Omaha, Nebraska, like there ain't nothing else to do. Yeah. And those guys will skate forever, and they'll skate a P rail in their basement all winter because it's too cold to go outside. Yeah. And I could see somebody like Richie coming from Regina being that same kind of, you know, modern version of somebody like Dave Kolosh. Totally. Like, it's easier to focus because there's nothing going on and there's, like, less spots to choose from. So, like, Richie and Dustin, they would just, yeah, they would skate up a practice rail in front of Richie's house, like, all the time and just focus on that. And they would just develop a huge trick repertoire. Like instead of 
going all over town like you would in New York and kind of like you would kind of hit your same tricks on all these different objects. They would just be focused on this one thing that was right outside their house, no travel time, right? no right. distraction, and they right. would just build like crazy trick repertoires. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of a lot of people who you could name are from really obscure places and would probably report that totally. they got good by skating with their two homies in their little town or on their P rail or whatever. Yeah. Well, we're at uh, two hours, Frank. Actually, well, a little, a little, a little over. That went fast to me. It did, man. That was super fun. I could, I could talk to you for a really long time. We should do this again. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, uh, thanks a lot. It was my pleasure. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad we did it. I, I appreciate you having me on again. And uh, to 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 all these, uh, I, I had a couple of people who wanted to um, to uh, to have me mention a couple of things, but um, they were they were just conversation topics, and I guess we did fine on our own. Yeah. Uh, We'll save them. We can we can talk about. If I can plug, can I plug one thing though? For sure, yeah. Okay, Uh, the guys the guys who run the Reddit rollerblading Reddit slash rollerblading or R slash rollerblading. Yeah. uh, That y'all did y'all didn't you do an AMA with them? Yes, we did. Yeah. Okay, they're doing an AMA. uh, They're doing an AMA tomorrow with Aaron Feinberg. Oh, cool. Um. And they're, and then I'm going to do one sometime, I think, at the end of the month. So I wanted cool. to at least mention that. Yeah. I was also going to ask real fast, when, is, when are you going to put this podcast up? Probably tonight or tomorrow morning. Uh, okay, okay. A friend of mine, do you know who Jay Garrick is? Jake, what's the last name? Garrick. Are you saying Garing or Daring? Garrick. Garrick, no. Okay. He's a he's a he's a rollerblader from from Austin, and he's oh yeah yeah sorry, that's a weird kind of weird last name. Yeah, I do know. He's the uh, he's a videographer, right? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, he actually asked. um, He actually asked if I would talk about socks, and he also asked if I would talk about or if I would find out when the podcast was going to go up because he's actually drawing all night tonight, and he likes to listen to this podcast while he's drawing. Nice. if there's if there's any influence that I have to get you to post it for him tonight, he might be very appreciative of that. Oh, I'll cool. just say. Well, I probably will. But I've said my piece, and so if you don't want to do it, I'll leave the ball in your hands. And I know that you have uh, a new baby, and so I wouldn't I wouldn't impose because I'm sure that you're already <laughs> sleep deprived as can possibly be. No, I'll most likely put it up. I usually like get really excited after I do these, and I can't help but just put it up right away. Ah, okay. Real fast though. Also, how how is how is your daughter? She's great. Yeah, yeah. she's doing really well. She's uh, her teeth are coming in. She's got rosy cheeks from teething. What? Yeah. What's the? What's the? There's these all these benchmarks, right? Like when yeah. they walk, when they talk. What is teeth? Teething is the stage she's at now. Um, teething is an inch, uh, an interesting one because it. It's a long range at which that can start. Like uh, some, for her, she got her teeth really early. Some of, some babies don't don't even get teeth till they're one years old. Okay, um, okay. So she she just started crawling. She's been crawling for about a month or maybe now. Awesome. 
and she's crawling really fast. It's so crazy to see like last month she couldn't crawl and uh-huh. now she can crawl like fast. Awesome. It's nuts. Yeah, it's super cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. But uh I'm sure she'll be walking probably in a month or two, I would guess. No I'll no, be really no talking yet. Right. Yeah, talking happens around like two, I think, right? Um, I think earlier than that. I think they they start saying some words maybe at one. Okay. I don't okay. Know. Like like mama, dad, that kind of stuff. Yeah, she's she's saying mama, but it, it's questionable whether she's actually saying mama or if she's just going mama, mama, mama. Yeah, but yeah. She seems to do it when mama's not in the room. So I think I think she is. I think she's saying. Mama, mama, where's my mama? Huh. <laughs> Anatomically, I think that dada is easier to say. I've, I've heard that as well. Dada yeah. first. Yeah, but she ha- she she doesn't say dada. I try to get her to. Huh. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll be I'll be really curious, uh, and it would be interesting at some point to hear. Um, maybe maybe what your plans are for for rollerblading and your daughter. And well, not, not necessarily that you want to try to coerce her into rollerblading or anything like that, but at, at what at what age does she become aware that it exists and that you do it? That would be some interesting things to ask about. It will be interesting. I'm excited to witness those things too. And she does already have a pair of skates. She has that's the, the that was one thing size. I was going to ask too. Like, how old does the kid have to be before you can stick them into a pair of Play School brand rollerblades? Um. Well, yeah, I, I, like Fisher Price probably makes like super small ones, which I'll be yeah. investigating. But I do actually have a legit pair of K twos in the smallest, <laughs> the smallest size that you can get, size one. And I wow. think it's like the size of a four or five year old. But I'm Does not it have sure. Wheels or three? Four. It has four wheels. It has four wheels. Yeah. That's and, wow. And they're that's like insane. junior adjustable skates. The smallest pair of skates that I could find, like actual skates. Wow. But uh, she'll probably be in Heelys or Fisher-Price skates before then. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't want to have expectations or like force it upon her. Yeah. It'll, it'll definitely be available to her. Right, right. Um, and I'll definitely, like if she wants a scooter, I'll get her a scooter, like whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have every expectation that you'll be a good dad, and that you already are being a good dad. I hope so. It's a terrifying. Uh, it's it's a terrifying job. I think didn't I? I feel like I heard you and Kevin maybe mention uh, doing a whole podcast about about having kids. Yeah, and, and I would good. bet that there are quite a few men and women in rollerblading out there who would be very eager to hear that podcast. So. Uh, it was something that I wanted to ask you about, and I would encourage you to do it because um, those of us who either have kids or who are thinking about having kids or whatever, um, I think that there's unlimited humor that you have to exploit with that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. A lot to talk about. A lot of humor and a lot of – a lot of. well, your whole perception on life changes quite a bit and your whole yeah. perception on like what you want and – Changes so therefore your whole perception on rollerblading, right? Changes. Right. So, 
Um, well, let me just say, let me just say, maybe even as an ender, I would strongly encourage you to do that because I, I think that there are a lot of people who would like to hear it. Cool. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, it's probably going to happen. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, this was so much fun, Frank. Yeah, well, yeah, as always, thanks for having and me on. And there's a small chance that I'll be making it out to Austin this year. For some uh, you should. You, yeah. should. you should be in contact with me about that. Yeah. Um, if my company sends me out there again, I'll uh, be out there, and this time I might have to bring my skates and make it out to one of those uh, box sessions that you guys have. Yeah, so for sure. So fun. Uh, let's let's talk about that. Send me an email or something, will you? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely let you know if I, when I know for sure. I still okay, don't okay. know for sure, but it's a possibility. Okay, well, that would be you would be very welcome here. Cool. Well, yes, as I said, let's do it again, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks so much. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Have a good night, and we'll talk soon. You too. Good night, Frank. Okay. Good night.